is actively lazy formerly known as IBS Jesus and we have with us a special special guest today with the very first ever live post game presser and that is none other than Jade Carnegie. What's up Jade? Hello. How's it going? Hey man, uh you know we got a running joke between you and me. I call you the Raven every year that you leave. I I'll make a Raven post in in your memory. Uh, but uh a lot of people had a lot of things to say after the game last night, and I think you had gotten offline and you left the group, so I thought we'd bring you back for a little one-on-one special presser. That sounds good. All right. We're going to run for 30 minutes. Uh, we might get callers. I posted it on um, in the group, but um, I'll get us started. So um, you're known to be anti-LeBron, and, and this series always comes off personal uh, whenever LeBron plays the Celtics. Uh let people know what's your biggest gripe with LeBron James as a player. Oh man, it's just he's he's in the East with us, with our franchise, and uh, you know to come out of the East, especially the last uh, eight years, you have to go through him, and he's eliminated us now multiple times. Two of the years out of the five, we had legitimate chances to go to the final. So it's just you know it's just bitterness. All right, so. You don't really hate the man from a, from a personal standpoint. You just hate him from a competitive standpoint. Absolutely. I have a lot of respect for LeBron personally, but, I mean, when it comes to the sport, man, there, there's a lot of bitterness. All right. Um, next question. Um, you talked about how he's uh, eliminated you guys at least two of the times. Um, coming into this series, not a lot of people gave you guys a chance. I didn't give you guys a chance, but I said, you know, if it would be competitive, I just didn't know how competitive. Were you surprised that this with seven games? Were you surprised that you guys started out two and zero? I'm surprised that we lost the series. I still think top to bottom, 
that the Celtics had the better roster. But I, I give credit to LeBron. He carried those guys. And uh, the Celtics just were not good enough on the road. You know, the the Cavs had LeBron, and he was able to pull out a road win that we obviously were not able to, to do. Yeah, the the road woes for the uh, Celtics were was well known uh, coming into this series. Uh, what do you attribute that to? To youth, to coaching, or just unlucky? I think the Celtics just don't have the calming factor of having a, a true star player right now. When things get bad on offense, there's nobody you can just give the ball to to make a couple shots to get everybody settled down. They just don't have that guy, especially with Kyrie Irving out. So, you know, a couple turnovers, and, and the Celtics were just rattled in Cleveland. I mean, they were just shooken up. Yeah, I, I, I noticed that, and I called them super subs myself personally. Uh, but I have to, I have to you know, tip my cap to them. Um, they played well. Who was the biggest surprise of your roster uh, for this series and for the postseason, outside of Jason Tatum, obviously? We took away, I guess, the, the obvious one. But I think yeah. – I, I was surprised that Jalen Brown didn't play better. And I know you were looking probably for a positive answer as far as, uh, you know, but I was surprised Jalen Brown didn't get it going more. I really thought he could have attacked their defenders a lot more. He had some good games in the series, but I'm surprised he, he wasn't altogether better. All right. So we got our first caller. Um, I'm going to add him in real quick. We'll give him two questions and then we'll, uh, we'll get back to our interview in case somebody else calls. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, nine, seven, two, three, you are on the first ever live presser with Jake Cardigan talking about the Boston Celtics in the Cleveland series. Who are we talking to? This is the commission. <laughs> oh snap! It's the commission himself calling in. Uh, oh, you get two, you get two questions. Get. I, I don't Maybe have the pitchfork for <laughs> uh, I guess the first question is, and I just tuned in, so I don't know what you asked in previous. But what did you think of Brad Stevens' adjustments? I guess just in the series after games uh, one and two how he adjusted to what was going on, and then specifically game seven. What did you think of Brad Stevens? Corey says that Tyloo outcoached him, and I'm prone to almost believe it if you if you count Braun and Tyloo as the same person. The coaching staff of Cleveland outcoached uh, the Celtics. So what do you think of Brad Stevens and his lack of or the adjustments that he made throughout the series, and specifically game seven? Let's just – I want to start with game seven because I, uh, Brad did get out coach, but I feel like it was, it was a happy accident. I think Kevin Love going down was the catalyst for Boston's offense just totally sputtering out. I mean, they could not get a basket because Kevin Love was such a big part of what Boston does. I mean, he's the guy that they attack. He's the focal point of what they want to do. And with him not being out there and Jeff Green being out there, the Cavs just guarded the perimeter so much better. And I, I don't think Boston had an answer. I, I don't know if Brad could have done anything differently. I mean, these are not, you know, fantastic ISO players that, that can get their own shot whenever they want it. I mean, 
he kind of just had to play the hand he was dealt. What about the three ball? It seems like excessive when you realize that you aren't making them. Like maybe we could try something different or put a rope on Smart and Terry. I would have liked that, you know, and I, I absolutely thought about that last night. But I think that's just who Brad is. I don't think that there's a bad three for Brad. I, I think if you can't get to the rim, I think you, you jack a three up. I think Brad's totally fine with that. I think to him, a th- any three that is not contested is a good shot. Yeah. And I guess my uh... – my second question, and I I don't know if we can I can ask another one if uh, Alan's I mean, already you can do it. You can do it. <laughs> well, I'm being nice, but um, <laughs> what did it feel of all people to ask this? How did it feel for Jeff Green to stab you guys in the heart like this? No pun intended. Um, so there's a lot of pun, but you know, for the Tin Man to come through, drop 19. <laughs> play maybe the best defense of his damn life. I mean, I feel like he ripped out my heart, and I need a, a you know, bypass at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it is irony, yes. And then he, Horford couldn't even get off on him. I just, ugh, that was disgusting. Are you good? You got any more questions? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, not All good. Right. I'm going to see if I can get some more people, some more angry pitchfork right. people to call in. Yeah, go ahead. We got about 20 more minutes, so um, appreciate you calling in, man. I'm a listening hold, so you can just put me on hold. I'm a listening. Okay. I'll put you in hold then. All right, so if you guys are listening and didn't want to call in, Jay just answered a couple questions from the commission. And um, he was talking about Jeff Green, and I know we got to give him a little backstory, Jay. Uh, tell, him, tell him about your affiliation with Jeff Green. Oh, my God. That's got to go a little ways back I guess and uh, I just really enjoyed the potential there I I liked him I liked his story I liked the way he carried himself it was just I mean I I think everybody likes to get caught up in a feel-good story and I think Mm -hmm. you know the heart surgery that the health scare to me that that was a a big time feel-good story Mm -hmm. um I I Honestly, can't say that I really thought he would be the key, but I felt like he should get more minutes, uh, him and Clarkson. So um, I think you made a great point when you were talking about how it was kind of just a, a happy accident with Kevin Love going down. It kind of forced them to play the way that they were they should have been playing all along. And in that sense, you could say Tyrone Lue outcoached, um, outcoached Brad Stevens, but I said life outcoached. Uh, Brad Stevens. It just it just happened to be a happy accident, like you said. Um, when we look back at this series, uh, you guys went seven games. You started out two and zero. What was the tur- the key turnaround point for you when you when you thought that okay we're we're about to lose this series? It was Game Six the, the, after the first quarter. I, I thought I loved the first quarter in Game Six. I, I really thought we were going to win Game Six. And then as soon as Kevin Love went down, when they started that big run in Cleveland, and I saw the way that, you know, they were guarding the perimeter, and then, like, watching the game close out in the final quarters, I knew that if Kevin Love couldn't play, we weren't going to be able to to play full court and score the way that 
really that this Celtics team is designed to score by committee. It just wasn't going to happen. Up-tempo wasn't going to happen. It was going to be ugly in game seven, and that's exactly what happened. Now, when I look at the roster, I don't, I don't know if I'm if I'm downplaying them or not, but I don't. They don't strike me as as a three point shooting team as far as like that's their main weapon. But I, you can't help but to say that throughout this whole uh, playoff run, that's been probably the best thing going for the the Boston offense. Um, was would there be any changes that you might have tried um, or like to have seen Brad Stevens try? with uh, just the way they were attacking the new lineup of the Cavs? I mean, it, it's hard to look at it now. Um, Kyle Korver wasn't out there that much. A lot of the guys we picked on just didn't get heavy minutes last night. So, I mean, it, it's tough. Uh, Nance came in for a while, and the Celtics went right at him, and Al Horford was just fucking he, uh, hooping. He was just, a, but they took him out. Ty Lue was awesome last night, I thought, because everything we did when we got going, he took it away. He took it away fast and went back to grind ball. I got access to um, while we're um, talking about you know the Celtics and their potential. Uh, I know there were some people saying Rozier over <laughs> Kyrie Irving. And uh, there's some other crazy things being talked about because nobody, I don't think, really anticipated uh, Tatum, Rozier to uh, play like they did this postseason, although I wasn't that high on Rozier myself. Uh, What changes do you think might occur uh, going into next season for this Boston Celtics squad? I think you look at the last few years, and I think any season that's ended in any type of disappointment, You've seen Danny Ainge go to the drawing board and and somebody gets moved. I mean, we're not going to see the wholesale crazy changes that we saw last summer where they shipped out their three lead score, but they're going to have to make a decision between Smart and Rozier. And if Smart's asking for $15 or or anything like that, I I do think Danny's going to let him go. I do think he's absolutely going to let him go and then just play it out with Rozier. Yeah, I think that actually plays well for Rozier. Um, if he could just, I mean, he's, I don't think he's as physically imposing as uh, Smart, but he's still scrappy and, and it opens up a backcourt spot, um, which I think you guys are going to be pretty loaded in the backcourt next year. Um, Jason Tatum, <clears throat> I mean, what can you say about the guy? He played phenomenally, in my opinion. Um, of course, Corey was a, was saying we missed the bad games, but I think if you take the sum of all parts, you you have to be very optimistic about Tatum and and his ceiling. And where do where does he play next year? Where does he fit into your game plan next year? I think at this point, just based on skills, I mean, I personally consider the guy the second option after Irving. I mean, I mm-hmm. like Gordon Hayward. He's Gordon Hayward's a more dynamic player. You know, he boards. He's a better passer, but there's just – he doesn't have the skill level. I mean, Tatum is one of the most NBA-ready players I've ever seen. The fact that he mm-hmm. started the season under 20 is incredible, and the guy's just got the complete game. He doesn't totally know it yet, so he doesn't force the issue the way that the Stars do. But, I mean, he just has every move, every, you know, shot on the court. The guy's going to be – he might pass Irving at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
I don't I don't know if Ronnie asked this in particular, but um Hurt had a question uh on the thread about thirty minutes ago. Uh he wanted me to ask you about Tatum dunking on LeBron, I I'm assuming in game seven. Then he hit a three pointer on the next possession with about six minutes left on the clock and didn't get the ball or or didn't get another shot for the rest of the game. Um, do you attribute that to just youth or did the Cavs do you think the Cavs took him out of the game? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. I think, you know, I I read that thread at some point last night. I remember a couple people saying, Well, you know, why didn't they why didn't Brad force the ball into him? But and that that is true, but to me it's like Tatum should have called for it. He should have called for it. That's on him, I think, more than anybody else. But like I said, he just, you know, he's not a star mentally yet. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, are you disappointed in Brad Stevens? No. No, okay. I, I don't feel like we had the full, I mean, we we just weren't built no matter what to win it all anyway, so. I totally agree. <laughs> I mean, that was my thing uh, at the end of the game last night. I was saying that, uh, you know, to the Cavs fans, like, what are you celebrating so hard for? You're supposed to win this series. And then to some of the Celtics fans, I was like, why are you so upset? You weren't supposed to win this series in the first place. Um, I get it. You you had a chance, though. And, and um, as, as some people like to say, you strike when the iron's hot. You had them on the ropes. They were woozy. Uh, you, you got a standing eight count, and then it came back and, and knocked you down with the lucky punch in the 12th round. I get all that. But at the end of the day, I don't see how Celtics fans can't be optimistic uh, about the future of this team. Um, I have to say I apologize to you because I think you were one of the people that were also uh, high on Tatum over Fultz, and I trashed Danny Ainge for most of the preseason. <laughs> um I mean, we we pretty much covered everything as far as questions for uh, for the uh, for the series. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about you as a as a Celtics fan. Um, can you give some people some backstory on, on where your Celtics fandom came from? Well, I actually going back to the late '90s when I was about ten. I actually didn't start watching the NBA as a Celtic fan. I actually was a Pacers fan. I was a Reggie mm-hmm. Miller fan. And uh, so when that run ended and, you know, the Lakers beat him in 2000 and stuff, and the season afterwards is when Paul Pierce really started to, you know, get going and, and show his all-star form. And that was really when I started. You know, I was a New Englander mm-hmm. anyways. Mm-hmm. But now that the team was getting good, I actually cared. So that's kind of where it started. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, for real, for real. When you're young, I mean, it happens to everybody. Like, I didn't start being a, a 49er fan until, like, the earliest game I can remember was, like, five. And then the Braves is the same way. Like, the earliest game I remember as a Braves fan was, like, seven or eight. So, um, it, it happens, you know. Because uh, you're probably the most passionate Celtic fan in the group to the point where when LeBron wins, you always kind of take a hiatus. <laughs> Will we see you back in the group next year or before that? Or is this the end of Jay and IBS? It's always so hard to, like, think about another NBA season after, like, a crushing loss, especially to LeBron. Like, 
it's hard to think about going another, you know, watching another 82 games and then, you know, just hoping to get back to the Eastern Conference Finals at least. Like, it, it just, you know, right now it's demoralizing. I don't know how I'm going to feel later on. I mean, I, I really don't know right now. Would LeBron James going to the West motivate you to come back? It's like a double-edged sword because, <laughs> I mean, of course, it would be wide open, right? Everything would be wide yeah. open. But, like, I, I just, no matter how many times he just bops us, like, I, I want him every year. All right, so let's let's say um, let's let's speak figuratively. Um, LeBron goes to the West, and and next next year we don't care who he signs with. Let's just say he's no longer in the Eastern Conference. Give me your top four teams hitting into next year without LeBron in the Eastern Conference. Celtics and Seventy Sixers are the easy ones. <clears throat> I mm-hmm. think the Pacers are going to be really good. I I really like. Victor Oladipo. I really like that team. I mean, Miles Turner still needs to, you know, go up another another level. But mm-hmm. the, I guess the Raptors, if the Raptors are going to run it back, you have to put them there by by default. All right. Um, out of those four, or out of those other three teams that you named, um, who would be the biggest competition to the Celtics next year? Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be the Seventy Sixers. Perennial is going to be the 76ers. All right, so um, explain to me or to people why you think they match up well against you guys. Um, because that, that was an interesting series as well. And, that, and I honestly thought that that would be the uh, the stopping point for the Celtics. I was very surprised that they ended up pulling that out. Yeah, they they put a really good team together. Everybody talks about Embiid, but they put a lot of shooting around him. They put and obviously I thought JJ Reddick was really good. I think they're crazy if they don't re-sign him. And they had Elisova and you know they have uh two monsters and some really good shooting. So I mean you two young superstars, you know, Fultz if he ever gets his head right and a bunch of uh shooters. I mean that's as far as the East goes, that's pretty damn good roster construction. Mm-hmm. All right, so I got a I got a really good one too here too, because um, we're winding down. Um, legacy in regards to how they treated the Boston Celtics. Who do you hate more, Kobe Bryant or LeBron James? Uh, wow, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, uh, bitterness between both of them, but I think. I don't know. There was only two finals with Kobe, so I guess I like Kobe a little bit better. Okay. Um, if you had to speak on it, who would you take, LeBron or Kobe? Oh, absolutely LeBron. Absolutely okay. LeBron. All right. Can you tell us why? I think he just, you know, will do whatever it takes. I think he's just so much more dynamic. He can control so many more facets of what goes on in a 48-minute basketball game. I mean, he can dictate, you know, pace, style of play, everything. Kobe Bryant was just, even on his best day, was not that good. All right, so we we had a couple of praiseworthy, notable sayings about LeBron James. So can I ask you, why did you make that post about LeBron not making his teammates around him better? 
Well, I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, I think a lot of star players, the Dwayne Wade's, the Kyrie Irvings, I think those guys were diminished. You know, one of them, you know, wanted to take a hike, you know, mm-hmm. three seasons in, and you have to look at that. And then you got the Chris Boshes and the Kevin Loves of the world who lose a lot of their game. So I think it's a certain type of guy. I think role players are the guys who need LeBron. I think he Mm -hmm. elevates those type of guys, but I think he diminishes other star players. I can can kind of see where you're coming uh, with that point. I also think that with that same, you know, logic, I don't understand why people harp so much about who's around him in regards to supporting cast because when he when he did have the big three, I I mean they kind of struggled a little bit each each phase, and then they got it together and they played real well. But then that that big so the Kevin Love and Chris Boshes of that equation kind of seems some some worth go down um, on their style of play, and they kind of had the well Love already kind of had a stretch game. But Bosch kind of had to elevate his game and, and become more of a stretch four. And um, I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing. And I know some people wanted to see LeBron with, like, DeMarcus Cousins and stuff like that. Do you think Do you think his next phase of, of, of a team will have a, a focus on a, a better big or focus on a better backcourt player? I think probably a backcourt player. And I, I think if anything, you might see, just because of wear and tear, you might see LeBron off the ball more than ever. I, I think he would love to go somewhere and kind of sit back a little bit and maybe give some of that, uh, you know, usage up. I, I could really see that, whether that's with the Lakers or Philadelphia or whatever. I think he'd like to be with a guard who could really handle the ball. All right, we're at the decision number three. If anybody's keeping track, hopefully this is the last decision. Um, I am, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm at like a a 9.5 that he's going to leave uh, Cleveland. Where are you at on that? I would have to say just about the same thing. I, I like, like you, I wouldn't want to say 10 because you just never uh-huh. know. But I would, I would say I'm hovering close to it because I just don't see how they can reset the deck. I mean, Kevin Love only has so much value as we speak. So I, I don't know where they reset the deck and, and, and put anything worth his time together for next year. I, and where do you think he might go? Oh, boy. That's, that's even harder. Um, Philadelphia probably makes the most sense because they have cap mm-hmm. space and so much talent, and I just don't think that L.A. has proven themselves. I mean, Philly made it to the second round. They, they they put up a pretty good fight. They have so much potential, and so far the Lakers haven't even made the playoffs with what they have yet. So unless they're able to get another just superstar to go with him, I, I think Philly's got to be the most likely. Okay, all right, we've got one more caller, um, and we've got about three minutes left, so I'll probably end with this caller. Five three seven one. You are on the air with the game seven presser with Jade and actively lazy. Who are we speaking to? Yeah, this is Jamar. Oh, what up, Jamar? Oh, snap! Hey, look, Jamar, you only got three minutes, man. We're not gonna sit here and listen to you hate on LeBron for <laughs> twenty minutes. Uh, you two are probably the most notorious LeBron haters, so this should be good. Go ahead. You have the floor, Jamar. You get three questions. Um, I I actually. Not a LeBron question. 
I'm more at Al Horford with, with Jay. So I wanna. How much blame do you put? Do you give to Al Horford with this with this loss? You think he should have stepped up more? I don't think he was capable. I mean, I think he played about as good of a game as he can play with the defensive attention that he had. I mean, he's not a star scorer, so I really don't expect him to try to force the issue. He's pretty bad out of doubles, like out of double teams. So, I mean, I, I think he he put up what he could. Okay. And, and if Boston could – Trade Al Horford? Would you would you be would you agree with a trade with Al Horford? Say for like like Boogie. I don't know how that would work, but would you trade Al for a better scorer per se? I I love him as the third man on a team because to me he's the ultimate like role player. He's like the rich man's role player. He just does everything so well. I think for the modern NBA. You can slide him to the five. He could make the long shot. I just think he's so perfect for, you know, Brad Stevens' offense and being the third man on the team. I, I can respect that. I can respect that. But I, me personally, I think he's getting paid too much money. He should have should have stepped up more. Um, I mean, Cleveland didn't have – too much defense. I mean, unless you want to say Tristan Thompson, this was a series for Al to, to really take over. It was there last game. It was there for him to to have a, just a bigger impact, and he, he was a letdown. I mean, I don't think he was great by any stretch, but I don't think he was bad, especially for what I think Boston signs people with realistic expectations. So I don't think Danny Ainge or anybody in Boston, you know, is upset that Al Horford didn't average 20 and maybe grab 10 because when when they when they paid for his services I just don't think they expected that. That make I mean that makes good sense. That makes good sense. Um I was critical of Al Horford too and I just kind of want to harp on what um what Jamar was kind of saying because in the first two wins I feel like Horford was the reason why they pulled those games out um he uh, he was getting a lot more attention than I would have gave him uh, on the perimeter, and uh, he was facilitating when he needed to, and uh, he was he was just being a little bit more physical than before. Uh, do you think H caught up to him as as the series dragged on? Because he he kind of faded away uh, the more games we got into the series. Not at all. I think he's a finesse player. I think mm-hmm. the guys who were defending him were, were pretty rugged with him, and I think he just, you know, especially as a scorer, uh, he just kind of wilted under the pressure of that. He's a finesse guy. You rough him up, you can take him out of a series. Right. So, with that do, saying, last oh, question. Go ahead, Jamal. One question. Go ahead. Four for, four for four, Kevin Love. Would you think Kevin Love would be a better fit in Boston? He's a better, uh, to me, he's a better three-point shooter. You you lose some of the defensive intensity, but me personally, I, I really think Bain, the addition of Bain, was was one reason why this series probably went seven. Uh, if Baines wasn't there, I think the Cavs would have beat them easily four one four two. It wouldn't it wouldn't have went seven. But I, I feel like Baines is is an underrated piece to that whole defensive system. Um, but I mean, you take a little bit of little little bit of the defense and. 
pick up someone like a Kevin Love, I think that that helps out Boston way more. Um, knowing that you have Kyrie who could get injured, unfortunately, at any given time. Uh, I really, I really, I, I aim needs to get rid of Porker as soon as possible. Well, I think you're right about Baines. Uh, his toughness was something that the Boston certainly didn't have last year, and it certainly kept him in this series because, like I said, Al Horford being a finesse player, I mean, he sometimes he just gets roughed up. And I think Baines is the only reason why that didn't totally take the Celtics out of the series. But as far as moving Horford, I Boston would have to scrap everything they do. They would have to implement a new system. Because when they brought Al in, they, they they use him as a catalyst on offense and on defense. They run everything through him. So moving him would be no, no small move. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, words from the infamous Jade and the infamous LeBron hated Jamar. Jamar, please stay tuned because if this game don't go the way it's supposed to go tonight, you will definitely be on the air. <laughs> Probably locked in the battle with uh, Corey about King KD. So we'll see how this goes tonight. All right. I appreciate you calling, man. All right. So uh, we're going to wrap this up, Jade. Do you got any last words? Uh, we already talked about whether or not we will see you in IBS later. But um, anything you want to say before you roll out? Uh, I just want to thank everybody for welcoming me back. I, I didn't leave on the best of terms the last time. So I just want to say uh, thank you for everybody who uh, sort of put, you know, water under the bridge. And uh, that, that's really it. All right, cool. Uh, we hope to see you again in the group, hopefully uh, without LeBron James in the Eastern Conference, just to see how things might change over there. And uh, we wish the Boston Celtics and your fandom the best of luck. Uh, I appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks. All right, so this has been the first ever uh, post-game presser uh, with the interview style. We usually do it in the threads in the group, but I thought it would be something special if we added uh, more of a little flair to it, like a real post-game interview. So I will be doing something, hopefully, for the um, Golden State and Houston Rockets series. Uh, More or less, we're just going to wait to see how it plays out tonight. We might have our uh, Houston Rockets superfan Maurice on, or I might have to go deep into the archives and negotiate with Mr. Weston Cigar himself and see if we can get 10 minutes of his time to uh, fill some questions. But uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have advanced to the 2018 NBA Finals. Uh, Surprise to some, not a surprise to others. But we look forward to see who they will be matched up against and um, analyzing that on our broadcast later on in the future. All right, so thank you guys for listening. This has been Actively Lazy, formerly known as IBS Jesus, and this has also been our Game 7 presser with Jake Cardigan, the Celtic superfan himself. Thank you.